if you're kind of a Collide veteran, you've, you've been with us before, uh, you, you've probably heard some of the stories that I've told, you know, that I, I tell from time to time. This one is not like a new one, but and it just really fits kind of where we're headed. When I was a, a senior in high school, I was a little bit different than your average senior because the very end of July, my birthday is the very end of July, I turned 16 going into my senior year. So a lot, a lot of my friends turned 16 when they were a sophomore or they were a junior. Um, but for me, it was like that, that, that month before school started. So what that meant is as my, all my friends were driving their sophomore years, I was bumming rides. And then my junior year rolled around. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, maybe you like this. As a junior in high school with all my friends driving, I didn't want to take the bus to school. You know, so I, I was bumming rides all my junior year to school, home from school. So when I became a senior, man, I was like waiting in line at the DMV to get my license at 16 because I was ready to drive. And my parents said, hey, you've got an option. We're not going to buy you a car. Uh, You're going to buy your own car, which I didn't have any money, couldn't get a job. I just turned 16. But I had this college fund. It was a couple thousand dollars that I'd saved up for. And, And my parents said this. They said, hey, here's the deal. You can use that money to go buy you a car. But if you do and you don't get scholarships, you're not going to college. And so I did what any high school student would do. I said, fantastic, and I went and bought a car, right? Because that, 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 that was what was really important at the time. So I bought a, a, a 1982, which was 10 years old at the time, a 280ZX. Look, that's what it looked like, except mine was silver with rust all over it. But that's kind of, you know, the, the, the shape of it. So my senior year, I got this car. I'm finally driving. It's got T-tops, pretty cool deal, kind of like a, almost like a convertible. And so one day, it was like in December, November, December of my senior year, I get a phone call right before I'm leaving school from a girl named Melanie. Now, Melanie was a sophomore. We were friends. We weren't really good friends, but kind of just acquaintances. She lived kind of close to my neighborhood, and she said, hey, I missed the bus. Have you left from your house yet? And I said, no, I haven't. She said, would you come pick me up? And I said, yes. So I go pick her up. Now, she's missed the bus. I still haven't left my house. So, you know, context clues, we're really late getting to school, like, like, Bell's already rung. I pull into the parking lot. Tardy Bell's about to ring. And she has first period soccer with the girl that I was dating. And so I'm in the student parking lot about to run in. She's got to go to the other side of the school campus to the soccer field house. And so I told her, I said, listen, you can take my car down to the field house and then bring it back and park it right here and then give the keys to the girl I was dating who played soccer as well. So give the keys to her and she can get it to me. So here's the deal. I go into first period English class, never forget Miss Northern's class, and, 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 and I said something about it, and, and everybody starts, all my guy friends start laughing. They're like, she's, she's going to wreck your car. You should have never let Melanie drive your car. And I said, listen, from where we were at in the student parking lot to the field house is a parking lot that nobody was allowed to park in. It was literally four lanes of open road, no cars on it, nobody driving on it. And I said, it is impossible to wreck a car. And they're like, Man, I just wouldn't have ever done it. English, we're going to English at the end of the, at the, end of the day, in the, in, the, in the first period. We get that beep. Uh, would you please send Brett Levi to the office? And all of the guys look at me and they're like, it happened. She wrecked it. And I'm like, they're probably inviting me down to the office to tell me I'm like student of the month. You know, that's more likely than her wrecking it on four open lanes of nothing. I get down, I walk in the office and they go, hey, uh, your car's been wrecked. So here's the deal. Four lanes of nothing, 
And right next to those lanes is this sidewalk that people could walk on to the football field. And there was this, I wouldn't even call it a fence. It was metal posts that were about two feet off the ground every so often with a little chain that linked it so that when you're walking along the sidewalk, you have a little knee-high little chain fence. That girl took that car with a low front end. She didn't run it into a post. She ran it on top of a post, and the post was coming through my floorboard. They had to get a tow truck, and and when they they pulled the the car, it ripped the post out of the concrete. And the school was like, you're going to have to pay for that. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, well, you know, my, my, my prized possession, my college money lasted four months, and it was wrecked, totaled, never to be driven again. Now, that story is going to come in real handy to us as we try to walk into this second week of Game Changers. So if you weren't here with us last week, we went with the football theme and the football jerseys because what we're saying is this series of Game Changer, we are looking at five weeks of what we call the gospel. If, the, if that word doesn't make sense to you, I don't know what that word means. The gospel simply means the good news. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of God. And in reality... You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we ought to be able to explain the gospel in about 60 seconds. It shouldn't be that difficult for us. But instead of taking 60 seconds to say, here's what the gospel is, here's what the good news is, we're going to spend five weeks to dive deep because what we want is for us to have an understanding, a deep understanding in our heart and mind of what the good news of Jesus is so that we can explain it not from our knowledge but from our heart. And so last week... We kind of laid the foundation. We're going to kind of sack brick upon brick for the next five weeks. And we said the first brick, kind of the, you know, if we were at the, at, the, at the 10 yard line going down the football field, we said this foundationally, God is good and he does good things. God is good and he does good things. The problem is, and we addressed this a little bit last week, the problem is we look around the world in which we live and we go, I, I, I don't see a whole lot of good. I mean, I see people who steal from other people. I mean, it's one thing like to steal, but I mean, we see this every like Christmas holidays. If you, if you tune into the news, like the last three or four years, they'll talk about this. There are people who during the Christmas holidays steal people's Christmas gifts off their front porch. I mean, it's one thing to steal from somebody, but when you're stealing a little kid's Christmas present, <laughs> you're terrible. I mean, that's like, that's a horrible person. But when we have people like that, we have people that intentionally want to hurt people, that, that, that want to kill people. That's not good, right? I mean, we, we see things like drugs and addiction and alcohol addictions and things like that, and we see how it ruins people's lives and ruins families. We see people that are wrestling. Some of you guys might wrestle with depression. We see that, and we go, man, that's not good. If you struggle with depression, I mean, there's never been a time where you're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you hate it. You, I mean, you probably pray, God, I don't want this in my life. We see things like mental illness, you know, kind of some of those things that are really far off the charts, schizophrenia, things like that. We see hurricanes and tornadoes and cancer and HIV. And so if we were honest, we'd go, man, we said the foundation, God is good. I, I don't, I'm not living in, in a good world. And because of that, we, we inherently sense that we've been going about trying to fix it. We try to make our world better. We try to do everything we can because we sense brokenness. We sense in our own life, man, a a lack of wholeness. And so we start doing things, trying to fill that hole, trying to put the broken back together. There's a quote from a guy named Matt Chandler. He's a pastor. Put it up on the screen. What you see is, man, this is fantastic. 
He said, everybody knows something's broken in the world. But illogically, foolishly, we are looking for fixes from broken people with broken ideas in broken places. He says, when we get it, we inherently understand we're living in a broken world. We inherently understand that our life is not good as it could be or what we'd hope it to be. And he says, the problem is, is we've tried to fix it with other people and they're broken and other ideas and they're broken. Let me, let me give you an example. So this house that you're going to see a couple pictures of was up for sale in Austin. I don't know if it ever sold or not. It was $25 million. I, I can't even remember everything in it. So I'm just going to tell you about it as they show you a couple pictures. It is 10,500 square feet of house on 31 acres of Lake Travis waterfront. Hello, that's nice. 10,000 square feet, 31 acres of lakefront, Lake Travis property. Now, here's the other thing. It's got a guest house. It's got a guest house that's 2,900 square feet on the property. The guest house is bigger than my house. It's got a manager's house on the property that's 1,600 square feet. It's got a helipad. It's got a seven-car garage. It's got a waterfall and a koi pond. It's got formal gardens. It's got a four-horse barn with a track and riding stables. It's got a pool. Of course, you have a pool if you have all the other stuff. It's got a hot tub. It's got an outdoor kitchen. It's got a basketball court. It's got a tennis court. It's got a boat dock. So here's the deal, though. Somewhere along the way, somebody said, I'm living in a broken world. And they didn't think this, like, probably consciously. I'm living in a broken world, and I want to build a paradise to live in. And they they did it. I mean, I think every one of us would go, man, that's a pretty cool place to live. Here's the problem, though. Broken worlds and broken people and broken places and broken ideas. Fast forward 300, 400 years from now, that house is going to look like this right? It's going to break. It's going to fall apart because we live in a broken world. And no matter what we try to do, we won't ever fix it. And so we think government will fix it. I mean, we're still like, you guys, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I mean, we're still like got people that are like still mad at Donald Trump and still mad at Hillary Clinton and still mad at Barack Obama. And you know why we have so much, like everybody angry at each other? Because deep in our hearts, We realize we're living in a broken world, and we're hoping that if we elect the right president, that president will fix everything. And so people go, well, Donald Trump can't fix everything because he's broken. True. And Hillary Clinton can't fix everything because she's broken. And Barack Obama can't fix everything because he's broken. And I can't fix everything because I'm broken. And you can't fix everything because you're broken. And we're all upset because we're hoping a government leader will fix the things that we can't fix. And when, when we realize it on a personal level, we start looking at relationships and things like that. If I could just fall in love, my world would be fixed. My world would be whole with the right guy, the right girl. And we get married to, the, to the, the prince or princess of our dreams. And we don't work at the marriage like we should. We don't, we don't live by biblical principles of mutual submission. And, and we stop working. The marriage starts to struggle. Maybe it falls apart. And we go, man, I'm still broken. Nobody can fix it. So we go to drugs or alcohol or something like that or another relationship or something to try to numb the pain when we realize that it can't be fixed and it doesn't work. I can give you a bunch of quotes. I want to see one more. C.S. Lewis. 
who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, said this. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased for a moment. The relationship pleases me for a moment. The party scene pleases me for a moment. The freedom as I, as I leave my house and get away from my parents who are controlling it pleases me for a moment. But then we realize that the world is still broken. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Because what happens is when we realize that the world is broken and there's nothing we can do to fix it, we start blaming God. And that's why when we say God is good and he does good things, we go, well, I don't know. But here's what we're going to see tonight. The world's problems are people problems. God is not on the hook for a broken world. And we're going to see what happens in Genesis chapter 3. We're going back to the very beginning now. Now, last week, we touched on Genesis 131 for a second. We said God created everything, and he said it was very good. It was the end of Genesis 1. So we get to Genesis 3. We're, just, we're, we're like one more chapter into, into the Bible. And look what happens in verse 1. Adam and Eve are in Eden. It's a perfect place. There's no sin. There's no disease. There's no death. It's them. It's God. It's a, it's, it's a paradise. Chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent, who was what the the enemy, Satan, took the form of, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Time out. God never said that. It's what Satan does. He twists things. Didn't God say, no, God never said that. He's he's lying, is that what he does? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, in the middle of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Time out. Part of that was true. God said don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden, but he never said anything about touching it. So here's one thing. This is just free. This isn't going to show up on the screen or anything. But when you have Satan who lies and people who don't know what God said, you have trouble. That's why you need to know the word of God. So you can at least not be like even know what God said. So when the enemy comes and says, didn't God say, you can say, I'll tell you exactly what God said. So we've got this, we've got this problem, verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you'll sure now, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, there's a lot of deep theology in this passage. Here's one of the things we have to understand so we can kind of see where God is good and how the world's problems are our problems. Why, Why did God put this tree in the middle of the garden and say, don't eat from it? Well, here's why. Because love is a relationship. Love is something that's chosen and freely given and freely freely received. Love is not coerced. If you've got to coerce somebody, force somebody to love you, that's not love. For for example, I love my wife. I've been faithful to my wife and will always be faithful to my wife. I also know that if I was not faithful to my wife, I would get fired from my job. 
because most churches frown upon ministers who have affairs. But if I walk into my house tonight and I go take my wife by the hands, I go, man, I love you, baby. I just want you to know I'm going to be faithful to you always. I will always be faithful to you because if I'm not, I'm going to get fired. But is she going to go, oh, that is so sweet. No, that's coercion. There's a real, because what I'm saying is I would be unfaithful, but somebody's holding something over me. So it's not really love that I have for you. It's that I don't want to be fired. But if I go and say, hey, baby, I will never cheat on you. I will be faithful forever because you are the one and only for me. That's love. And so God has these, has Adam and Eve. He's created good and and they're, they're in this perfect paradise. There's no sin. There's, there's, no, there's no disease, there's nothing bad, but God wants this relationship. It's not coercion. So God says, hey, don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden. That is the, that, that's the way you show me that you love me. It's the only thing you got to do. And go out, do whatever you want. Have a blast. But if, if you want to show me that you love me, if you want to have this relationship with me, then here's what you do. Don't do one thing. Now, that's good. Love comes through free choice. Now, here, here's the second thing that happens, though. It's not just free choice. Understand this. At the current point in history, when this happened, when, when Satan says, you'll know good and evil, that was true. But here's the crazy thing. The reason why Adam and Eve didn't know evil is because there was no such thing as evil for them to experience. The only way they could experience evil was to disobey God, and the only way to do that was to eat from the tree. And so when Satan goes, hey, you'll know good and evil, they went, well, what is this evil that you speak of? And basically went, take a bite and see. Because when you bite, you become evil. You become disobedient. And so it's just this grand trick of the devil. And so, but, but there's this, 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 this thing that God has them because he, he wants them to love. But when that happened and disobedience happened, sin entered the world for the very first time. And it broke the world. And we read the rest of Genesis 3, God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. And there's some consequences that come with it. One of the consequences was painful childbirth for females. One of the consequences was, was Adam would work the land and it, wouldn't, it would not bear fruit as easily as it had in paradise. And we might look at those things and go, well, why did God do that? The reason why God did that is because God is just. And, and that's a good thing. We want a just God. I mean, we don't want God. We want mercy from God, but we want God to be just to everybody else. If we didn't have a just God, if God had not set up a world with an ideas of justice, we would be living like in, like in the movie The Purge. That's what life would be like. And no, nobody's signing up for that. It wouldn't be a one day. That's what life would be like. That's a world with no justice. So a good God is a just God, and he has to punish sin. And so we see it in Genesis 3, and he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. Sin enters the world, and now it's broken. That's the bad news. It said the gospel is good news. Tonight, we're really leaning in on the bad news. Here, here, here's, here's what's worse. The bad news gets to be worse news. Go to Romans chapter 5. If you can get over to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some Bibles have those red letters. You have Acts as the next book, then Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul tells us this. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, the world broke. When Adam sinned, he brought death into the world. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. What Paul's saying to us is this. He says, hey, the world broke when sin entered it, but we can't, so we can't shake our fist at God and go, it's God's fault because the world's problems are people's problems. 
We can't shake our fist at Adam and Eve and go, man, it's all y'all's fault because Paul tells us they weren't the only ones that sinned, right? Your parents did and your grandparents did and your great-grandparents did and you and I did. We're on the hook. We're a part of the decay. We're a part of the broken world. It's not on God. It's on us. Bad news goes to worse news, and it gets even worse than that. There's nothing that we can do to fix it. Nothing at all that we can do to fix it. Yay, I'm glad I came tonight. Real pick-me-up. World's broken. It's going to stay broken. If, if we have anything to do that, we can't fix it. But I want you to see this. Uh, this is the bad news night of five weeks of the gospel. We're going to get to the good news. But understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news. We're going to understand how bad it is so, so that next week in week four and week five, we can understand how good it really is. The world's broken. It's our fault. We can't fix it. There's nothing we can do. But let me give you a little teaser. Go back to Genesis chapter three. That's where we just were at. Right when sin entered the world and broke it, I want you to see what happened. There's, there's this, this, this word from God in here before God even lays the consequences out for Adam and Eve. Look in verse 15, this teaser of the good news that's coming. God says in verse 15 of chapter 3 to the, to the serpent, to the enemy, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, this is very important, and her offspring. Now, to understand Jewish thought, you would have never attributed offspring to a female. They were a patriarchal society. It was about the husband. It was about the man of the house. So God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to put enmity between you and Adam's kids. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and Eve's kids. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 3 is the very first picture that God is already at work. Once we broke the world, he's already at work at bringing the good news because there's only one woman throughout all of history that had an offspring that wasn't attributed to a man. We call her the Virgin Mary, and her child was Jesus Christ. And in Genesis chapter 3, before God even paints the picture of the consequences that are coming from the sin that Adam and Eve did to break the world, God said, you broke the world, but I'm already at work to fix it. And there's going to be a child that comes from a woman, and he is going to, he says to the serpent, you will bruise his heel, which happened to Jesus. He was injured and hurt and died on the cross, and he will crush your head. Genesis 3, before, before we even get kicked out of the garden, God goes, you broke the world, but I've already begun the reconciliation, reconciliation of it. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to defeat the enemy, and he's going to defeat death that just entered the world, and I'm going to put everything back. Week 3, 4, and 5 is coming. But we have to sit in the bad news for a minute to understand the good. So let me give you real quickly, what does this mean to us? I mean, the, the world's problems are people problems. The good news is coming. This is the first time you came. You've never come. You're like, man, like, again, this is a downer. I get it, but it gets better. The sun's coming up. But here's what we do. Let me just encourage you to do this. We've got to stop blaming. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming other people. The world's problems are people problems. The world's brokenness is our brokenness. It's our sin that did it. And, and it's not someone else's fault. It's our fault. And you know what? A lot of us have consequences in our own life. There's some things that we're dealing with, some, some, some trouble, 
some brokenness. And sometimes that brokenness comes from a broken world. You might have had a, a parent or a family member that, that you lost in early age because of something like cancer. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't their sin. It was a broken world and cancer entered it. And we were a byproduct. But you know what? Some of you are dealing with guilt and shame and consequences from things that you made decisions about. Your sin caused it. And we've got to stop blaming God and other people because blaming, blaming God does nothing. I mean, you can blame God all you want. It doesn't change anything. In fact, all blaming God does is give us a reason to rationalize. Well, it's God's fault, therefore I'm going to go do this. You know, it's God's fault that she dumped me, so it, God doesn't care. God's not a good God, so why should I be faithful to him? Why should I try to walk with God? He's the one that, that screwed up my life, so I'm going to go do this. And we continue the cycle of sin down, and consequences come. There's a guy named David Shoshan. It happened in Israel this last May. This guy got a rest- or tried to get a restraining order against God. Yeah, like a legal restraining order. And so in the, in the court documents, he, he's an Israeli, he called the police several times, like 10 different times, the, 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 the records show, and the police would come to his house and he would complain to them, God has been bad to me. God has not been treating me nicely. And so I guess maybe in jest at one point, one of the police officers said, you know, we've been out here multiple times, there's really nothing we can do. Maybe you need to file a restraining order. You know, God shows up on your property, then we can do something. So the guy follows through. And he goes and files a restraining order on God. It goes to court, and the court documents actually say that God didn't show up at court to defend himself. And crazy, true story. And so the judge is hearing the story, and I can just imagine what the judge is thinking as he's hearing the story. The end of the story is the judge throws the case out, and he tells the guy, listen, you need help, obviously, that the courts cannot give. Blame God. Get a restraining order against God. 100% of the fault of my problems, God, it's yours. What, does that change anything? It doesn't doesn't do anything for you, so stop blaming God. Start taking responsibility for your actions. And here's the second thing we can do, and we, we need to do. We, we've got to bring our, our sin into the light. There's some of you guys in here. I say guys, I'm not guys and girls. We've got some compartments of our life that are hidden. Nobody knows about Some sin. Might be in a relationship. It might be, it might be hidden from some people. You know, you might come to church and you're a small group leader, your parents think like, like you're the most godly person in the world and with your friends, you know, you, you cuss like a sailor and you, know, you, and you talk dirty and things like that. Nobody knows, it's compartmentalized as your friends know. There might be some things like alcohol, pornography, things like that, that, that no one, you, you've got it hidden, it's, just, it's, in, it's in the dark. I'll tell you this, when I was a junior, senior in high school, I was, it was near the end of my high school years, I had a friend whose family had bought a farmhouse just on the outskirts of town. And they were going to, the farmhouse was old, it was falling apart, and they were going to rebuild it, turn it into their house, and they were going to move out there. And so they talked to me and my friends and stuff, and they said, hey, on Saturday night or Friday night, I don't remember what night it was, you you guys want to come out and spend the day, and we're going to to work at the farmhouse, and then we'll stay the night out there, and we'll build a fire, uh, you know, s'mores, we'll do whatever, and just, you know, it's kind of out in the country. And we said, yeah, we'll do that. and the parents were going to be there, wouldn't like, you know, anything bad, anything like that. And so we go out, we work kind of late afternoon, and, and as it starts to get dark, we're inside this little farmhouse, and, and, and kind of too dark to work outside, so we're kind of settling down, we kind of start exploring some of the house, and there's this like door that we thought's a closet, but it's not, it's actually this, this room into the house, and we open up the door, and there's lights on in the hallway where we're at, but the, the, the room's dark in there, 
But there was enough light in the hallway that when we looked in, that light reflected off about 20 pairs of eyes. Rats. Like looking at us like, come on in. And we like closed the door and we were like, no bonfire, no s'mores, we're going home. I'm not sleeping in this house. This is creepy. They're like, there's more rats than there are people. That's not good. Now, now here's, here's the analogy. Some of us have in our hearts this door that if we open up, we look inside the darkness, it's full of rats. And you know what happens if you don't deal with the rats? They multiply. And sooner or later, they don't fit in the dark room anymore, and you're out in the living room, and you flip on the lights, and they scurry. And it starts to affect the other areas of your life. You got to get that sin into the light. Turn the light on and clean out the room. And the truth is, remember, you can't do it. You can't fix it. But Jesus can. He is the only way to fix things, and that's coming week three, four, and five. So the question is this. Do you continue to blame God? Do you continue to shake your fist at heaven? Do you continue to rationalize the dark corners of your heart? Or do you realize, you know what? The world's problems, people problems, sin in the world. And I'm also responsible. And do business with God. Start cleaning out the closets. Start doing what God would have you do. This Sunday morning, we're going to talk about that down the hallway some. How do we apply it? And then tomorrow or next Wednesday night, we're going to come in and we're going to see, and many of you kind of know this part of the gospel already, we come to find God's solution to our sin problem. And then next, in the week four and week five, we'll talk about what happens after that. Stay tuned. Be here. Understand the gospel. Step one, God is good and he does good things. But we broke it. World's, people, world's problems are people problems. God had a paradise. We ruined it. The first two steps of understanding the gospel. And when you understand those things, it makes the, 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 the end of the gospel Truly good news.